podcast. My name is John Sikotowski. I'm the communications coordinator here at High Point Church. And the Engage and Equip podcast is a resource that's designed to help make substantive disciples of Jesus out of the local church. In this following episode, myself, Kent Rawhauser, who is our chairman of the Elder Board, and our lead pastor, Nick Gibson, are going to be talking a little bit more about security. So why are we talking about security? What's currently in place at High Point Church? Uh, surrounding the issue of security and um, what is the biblical grounding for that discussion. Apologize for the audio in this episode. Unfortunately, the microphone picked up a little bit more air conditioning noise than we would have liked. Um, So we tried to get most of that out, but there's still a little bit of that in the background. But we hope that this episode equips you and helps you engage with, with the idea of security in the local church. Take a listen. Hey, everybody. My name is John Sikotowski. I'm the communications coordinator here at High Point Church, and I'm here with Kent, our chairman of the Elder Board, and Nick Gibson, our head pastor. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit today about um, security here at High Point Church. So, just to start it right off, so why are we why are we talking about security more in these past couple weeks, and why specifically now? So at High Point, we've had security for a long time. There's been different levels of security. And obviously what just happened over the last week or so has made everybody think a lot more about security. Um, So we want to communicate clearly to everybody what has been done and the steps that we are taking going into the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what is currently in place at High Point Church with regards to security? So right now we have what we call a security or safety team. It's sometimes it's easier on people if you just call it a safety team. And we have uh, a number of a number of guys. Um, right now they're all men. We have a woman we're including real soon. Um, who do they, there's certain door procedures we have for locking um, that they've worked on with Mike, our executive pastor. Um, certain patrols like there's always somebody kind of going around trying to see if there's somebody who looks like they're not here for what most people are here for. <laughs> and um, and then of course we have ways of reporting that. MPI's response time from their main building. Mm-hmm. MPI is our security company is just over two minutes. Yeah. They can be here really fast. Um, and uh, so, and then we've, we've done training. Um, at least three of our guys have done what's called the DAT training, D-A-A-T, which is called defense and arrest tactics, which is everything through handcuffs and pepper spray. Yep. So it's like how to talk to people, how to take people down if necessary, how to put handcuffs on people, yeah. and how to use pepper spray, which includes getting pepper sprayed. Yeah. Um, there's actually a YouTube video of Curtis Diller and me, and I think Paul Thompson, I think, was the other mm-hmm. person. And then there's another class, which some of us are going to be taking, which is batons, tasers, firearms, which I'll be taking in the next six months and a couple other people. So there's that training that is being done with certain people, and that includes training for deadly force or being able to carry a firearm, which is a yeah. specific set of trainings yeah. as well. Yeah. So specifically off of that, yeah, what is, um, what's new in the High Point Church discussion about security? What is High Point considering putting in place that hasn't been in place so far? Um, what are some of those things? Yeah, the two main things is in increasingly comprehensive coverage, mm-hmm. right? So better coordination, better communication, and so on. Um, just higher quality of that. And then adding people who have the capacity to carry deadly force legally on campus who have been appropriately trained. Because we're a fairly high traffic place. Yeah. So it's one thing if you're carrying concealed and you're a citizen and there could be a, somebody who attacks you. That's not a place with like 350 people within a, an acre. You know, yeah. 
And so there are a, a lot of additional considerations. And so Midwest Patrol and Security has put, put together specific training for things related to active shooters, um, using deadly force within a place where there's lots of people. And so there are six of our people who have gone through that training. Yeah. And so we've gone through like a year-long process of like, what are the legal issues? Yeah. What are the um, issues of insurance? Mm -hmm. What are the issues of making sure everybody knows each other? Um, all the way down to like, where do we get the drug tests? Yeah. And so we've got all that kind of completed now. Yeah. So we can move forward with it. And so it's also time to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really important to, to understand that there's been a lot of things that have happened for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And this is, is something that has, has been well thought out. We, we, like, like we're saying, we've talked with a lawyer, we've talked with insurance, we've, we've gone to, uh, to Link's training too. So it's, it's a matter of communicating yeah. to everybody at High Court what mm -hmm. we're doing. Yeah. To make sure it's just really clear, we're not hiding anything. We're right up front. Yeah. Here's here's the direction that we're going. Yeah. So people would would know this, but they they might think like, oh, Nick was on the news and a couple of things. So mm -hmm. like now you're talking about it. But actually, one of the reasons why I was interviewed is because a couple other evangelical pastors in town, when the news called them, they said, oh, you need to talk to Nick at High Point mm -hmm. because they've been working on this security stuff for a couple of years, and yeah. I'd been working with those churches. Um, in fact, some of their churches got invited into trainings the MPI did for us. Mm -hmm. And so then when the news was like, well, who do we talk to? Who does security? Yeah. Who will talk to us? Um, they, one of the people they called was, was yeah. us. Was yeah. So the, the news stuff actually was precipitated by the fact we've already been working on this yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, that was a question I wanted to ask was how, how does um, what happened in Texas affect what's going on in our church right now? Mm -hmm. I think for some people... Um, it, it's actually going to make them wish we were doing more mm -hmm. or doing more quicker. Mm -hmm. um, some people just might feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. I, I think that other people are afraid we're going to overreact, yeah. which is always a danger. Yeah. And so, um, that, I mean, that's why, that's why the most unsexy virtue to say is the one you use the most, which is prudence. <laughs> you know, what is the right balance of action mm -hmm. and non-action? Mm -hmm. Exactly what do we do? Mm -hmm. And but but I don't think I don't think we're being reactive at all, and I think yeah. the fact that we've been working on this for a long time makes it makes it so we already knew what we were going to do. Yeah. So this event doesn't change anything. Yeah. Other than there are some people who I think were a little reticent, yeah. who are more ready now to be like, yeah, no, we need to do this. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like Kent, from what you said, that this is more of a this isn't like a oh this happened so we better put something in place. It's like a oh this happened so let's communicate more like let's communicate clearly what is in place what we have already been moving towards let's um, do what we already planned to right, do right you know part of communicating is is letting people know that there's things going on behind the scenes mm -hmm. constantly that are that are planning that some of it is is told to everybody some of it isn't because it never comes to anything but there's always something going on behind the behind the scenes. And yeah. This is one of yeah. the things that's been going on for quite a while. Yeah. In a very positive way. And it, trust me, it's gotten a ton of scrutiny. Yeah. I mean, the elders are... It's gotten a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. <laughs> I, heard, uh, I, yeah. I heard you wanted it through a little bit quicker than yeah. me, two yeah. or three years. I mean, I've been working so on this for seven years yeah. since yeah. I got here. But there, there, you know, there are considerations when you have a school. Yeah. Yeah. There's federal laws and state laws. Most churches don't have to worry about this. Mm -hmm. they, if they want to put up a no firearm sign, they can. If they don't, they just don't. Yeah. Every person who goes there makes their own choice of what to do. Exactly. There's nothing coordinated. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. And because we have a school, it changes everything. Yeah. Um, it both creates security concerns, and it also creates security hindrances. Yeah. And the other problem with communicating about security is you want 
people who might do something to know as little as possible about your security. Right. You want right. your security to people to know you're secure and you don't want anybody to know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it tricky. How much do you tell? How much, what don't you tell? Yeah. Because we want our, we want, we don't want anybody to know what they're walking into if they mean us harm. Yeah. And we don't want anybody to know what they're walking into if they just want to come here for church. Yeah. Yeah. They want, we want to see smiling faces, people who want to give them a hug and talk to them about Jesus and love them. Mm -hmm. and, and they don't need to know that that person over there is, has done, you know, 170 hours of training and mm -hmm. being prepared to use deadly force if necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how would you guys respond to the concern, are we putting ourselves in more danger if we bring weapons into the church? Um, I would say that there's just no evidence that that would be the case. You know, I, you try to make these decisions on principle mm -hmm. and on evidence, mm -hmm. right? There's nothing in principle that would say that. Um, and I don't think there's any evidence for it. Yeah. And I've done quite a lot of research yeah. on how guns affect crime and safety and so on. And um, I would say that there's much more evidence if the people are well trained. Yeah. Um, a lot of the a lot of gun accidents in America um, end up happening to gang members mm. because you know they don't wear holsters and there's all kinds of things they don't they're not trained they, you know yeah. right <laughs> and so there's a lot of accidents that happen yeah. in that context and that pumps up the numbers for lots of things and it skews a lot of statistics uh -huh. and confuses people a lot about what firearms do and don't do on their own yeah and so. Um, once you get hit a certain level of training, which isn't very high actually, but we're way beyond that, mm -hmm. um, it you know there's extraordinarily low rates of accidents and effectiveness in necessary cases where it has to be used is very high. Yeah. So. Yeah. How would you respond to people um, who might be saying, you know, statistically, we're really not in that much danger. So is it just overkill for us to be introducing deadly force into our security team, how do you respond to that, maybe that concern? I have all kinds of things to say about you. I, I, just, I just think that we have to be uh, prepared for a potential worst case scenario, yeah. right? an active shooter, somebody comes into the church. Um, one of the things that kind of hit me with the, the thing in Texas is that somebody drove up and being in Texas pulled the rifle out of his truck and as soon as the shooter saw that, he changed his tactic and, and, and left. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we don't carry guns in our trucks like they do in Texas, but... <laughs> Some of us don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I think just the, the fact that, that that possibility is there, mm -hmm. or if a, you know, if a shooter came in and, and people responded and somebody with a gun showed that they had a gun, it's going to at least change what that person is doing. Yeah. So I think it's a, a logical defense um, sequence that would that would that would go along with, with what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you read the reports on the Texas shooting, the the person who did that shooting reloaded 15 times. Yeah. So he stopped shooting for like seven seconds, took out a magazine, put in another magazine, loaded the round, and then started firing again. And so um, the ability for him to have been taken out by somebody who was armed was really high. Yeah. In most cases where shootings and most most um, active shooters end with suicides mm -hmm. and oftentimes they will kill themselves at the slightest bit of resistance uh -huh. because they have covenanted to themselves they will not be captured. Uh -huh. Right. So the minute they see the first cop 
they end their own life. And so, um, so, so that so you just any show of force oftentimes will end an active shooter's attack. But in addition to that, what a lot of people don't know is, is that um, a mass shooting, statistically speaking, is some is someplace where there are five or more casualties mm. in an active shooting situation. And those are the ones that get talked about a lot. If there are four or less, they often don't get talked about. Well, the, the reason why a lot of ac active shooter situations don't become mass shootings yeah. is because somebody stopped them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you can, if you actually are willing to dig, you can actually find scores and scores and scores of situations in which defensive gun uses save lots of, lots of lives. Mm -hmm. People don't know this, but the Clinton administration in the 90s, so it's probably higher now, but the number of defensive gun uses in America every year at 1.5 million. Wow. So that's 1.5 million events in America every year where a credible threat of severe bodily harm or death is stopped by the use of a firearm. But in the vast majority of cases in defensive situations, the gun is never fired. Mm -hmm. And so these are these are I mean these are situations where just I'm willing to fight back yeah. stops severe bodily death. Yeah. Right? And the number of gun deaths in America each year about 30,000, mm -hmm. two-thirds of those are male suicides. Yeah. Right? So that number is really a description of the state of mental health of men in America. Of the other 10,000, most of those are murders that happen in just seven zip codes, the most mm -hmm. gang-filled zip codes in America, sadly, mm -hmm. are police deaths. Self-defense is all falling at 10,000. Yeah. So the number of people killed by guns wrongly that in non-gang-related situations is extraordinarily low, and yet there are 1.5 million defenses. That number might be as high as 2.3 million or as low as 800,000. There's some different estimates. Yeah. But it's extraordinarily high. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to understand some of those things, you start to think, oh, that's, that's mm -hmm. actually, I, those statistics are on the side of yeah. being prepared to defend yourself. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like you're saying it's not overkill in the sense that even displaying that we have the ability to respond with force is oftentimes enough. So it's not yeah. like we're it's not like we're listen, bringing in. And, and listen, we are going to have security situations. Yeah. We have already had mm. security situations that we were able to handle partly because we were prepared yeah. in ways that didn't use force. Yeah. But like if a, a shifty guy comes in here and all of a sudden he's got a tail in that hallway, mm -hmm. somebody's watching him. He'll just leave. Sometimes they'll just leave. Yeah. And that's what you want. Yeah. And Sue Reisling, who was the director of, she was the police chief at UW for years. She does presentations on how you keep active shooters from ever shooting. Yeah. And there are like, there's like eight steps to an active shooter actually opening fire. And there are a number of ways where you can stop that along the way. Hmm. And a little security knowledge, like if they see any security, oftentimes they'll just not do it. Yeah. And so what we want to do is, if we can get steps one through seven, we're going to do with steps one through seven. Yeah. And then if step eight happens, well then step eight happens and we'll, we'll try to do the best we can. Yeah. Uh, my experience with people who are concealed carry, um, their first reaction is to pull their gun. That's, right. that's like way down the line. They would rather not pull a gun, mm -hmm. use a gun, they, every other tactic they can to try to, to de-escalate things mm -hmm. before the gun would come out. Yeah. So that's, people need to understand that too. Yeah. Just, just because someone has concealed carry doesn't mean that the first sign of danger they're pulling their gun and pointing their gun at something. Right. Like, that isn't happening. Right. right. And especially it sounds like with the degree of training that the people who are authorized to carry are going to receive. Yeah. No, there's a whole continuum of force training and like there's three criteria mm -hmm. for um, it being legitimate mm -hmm. to fire at someone. You have to have all three and it's, just, it's the same criteria that are used for police. Yeah. And so 
yeah, I mean, it's, we're not screwing around. Yeah. It's, 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 we, we're taking it seriously. Yeah. We don't have any cowboys on our team. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I guess the last question would just be, what would you guys say is the the biblical grounding for having this kind of security introduced into a church? Security that, that not only is obviously the, the things that people are okay with, like locked doors and patrols and things like that, but security that introduces uh, potentially deadly force. Yeah. Well, uh, last month I had the, I told the elders that they should read a, a specific section in Luke 22 where Jesus says, you know, what I sent you out before, I said, don't take a staff, don't take your tunic, just go and expect things to be taken care of for you, both your safety and your provision. And, you know, and then, and they had this enormously great ministry. They came back and then Jesus, now Jesus is going to die and he's going to leave. And he says, listen, last time I said that, but this time you take a cloak with you, unless you don't have a sword, then sell your cloak and get yourself a sword, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and then um, Peter says, or one of the steps says, look, we've got two swords. And he goes, okay, that's enough, right? And the question is, how do you interpret that passage? Jesus tells his disciples to get swords. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Right after that, they go out into the garden, and Jesus is arrested, and Peter takes out his sword and, like, cuts off the ear of a guy, and Jesus is like, that's not what I meant. Right? <laughs> I'm not leading a rebellion. This is yeah. not what I'm talking about. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword, right? Okay, so he doesn't want he doesn't want you to defend him. He doesn't want you to lead a rebellion. He doesn't want you to get a lot of swords so you have, like, a cache of things to lead, you know, lead a revolt. Mm-hmm. So then what is what does he mean? And when you go through his teachings— the only situation of force that he leaves open is self-defense. Hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You can't take revenge. You can't even use force to get justice for yourself because that's called revenge. Yeah. Right? And you're not to lead a revolution. You're not to revolt against the government as like as a Christian. There yeah. might be political reasons, where, like in the terms of the Declaration of Independence, where it might be politically right to get rid of a government and make a new one. That's yeah. a different discussion. But you're not supposed to be this like revolutionary that's like going around and creating communistic, like, sort of whatever. So, mm-hmm. so it, like, and you, when you narrow that down and you look at all of his teachings and you say, okay, how does this fit in if we fit it all together? Yeah. The only thing that's really available is you can defend yourself from the immediate grave, bodily harm, or death. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're doing. And so I believe that Luke, Luke 22 can't be interpreted any other way. Yeah. Um, there may be a logical possibility I haven't thought of mm-hmm. and that no Christian interpreter has ever thought of. <laughs> But um, I don't, I, that's unlikely. I think. Yeah. And so what that would mean is, not only is it okay for us to be prepared to defend ourselves or others, but it's actually, uh, we're obligated yeah. to make provision to defend ourselves and others, which is something a lot of Christians have never reckoned with at all. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, I, I remember you, you wrote a blog post about this that you can find online, and you talked about, you know, even to the degree where Jesus is saying, listen, if you have a cloak, Right. And you don't have a sword, get rid of the cloak, <laughs> even though that would seem to be the thing that would probably be causing more danger. Right. Would, be would be weather, would be yeah. the more dangerous thing, mm-hmm. right? And especially if you're going out where you don't have a home, yeah. you're just like going through continents, preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. you would think weather would be the issue. But apparently, Jesus was pretty interested in them having a weapon. Yeah. And it may have only been two swords for the 12 of them. Yeah. As long as they're going to be there, you just have to have some capacity for self-defense. Yeah. You don't need to overkill it, mm-hmm. but you should have it. Yeah. And he commands them to have it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that would be the first biblical passage that I would go to. Cool. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, yeah, our uh, Kent and Nick talking a little bit about security. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
if you have any other questions, we're going to be having at our congregational meeting, uh, we're going to be talking more about this issue, and you can come check it out there. Yeah, yeah, and talk to Kent and I or any of the elders. We are not defensive about explaining defense, mm -hmm. um, and we know that people have lots of interests and considerations, and they, they want to ask questions, and that's fine. Yeah. We probably won't reveal who we've contracted with mm -hmm. because keeping their names private is important yeah. um, for security reasons yeah. so that they're not targeted. Yeah. But um, most our, our practices, our policy, all that kind of stuff, we're pretty open about. Yeah, it's not something we're shying away from. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Joe.